Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. You may be wondering some things about Barah Ministries, like who is the God we worship, and what is our source of truth, and who is our enemy. Well, after being beaten down by the world every day, it's nice to have a refuge, a sanctuary, a retreat, where you can get away from the world. Letting the truth of the Word of God relax you and refresh you and renew you. Welcome to this place of peace. Thank you for listening to this lesson. Well, who is the God we worship? We worship a triune Godhead. There's one God who expresses himself to mankind as three separate, distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we have a God with all the power. It's never a burden to remind you of what's important to us believers. God the Father is the author of the triune Godhead's plan for all creatures. The true character of a person surfaces most when we see how the person treats us when we're down. Well, God the Father is always there for us believers in Christ, especially when we're down. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, the apostle says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, that's the, the, the ministry that he directs toward unbelievers, who according to his great mercy, when we were unbelievers, has caused us, believers in Christ, to be born again, the spiritual birth, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, so that we may obtain an inheritance. We are heirs as believers in Christ, an inheritance which is imperishable. It'll never go away. It is undefiled. It'll never be spoiled in any way, and it will not fade away. An inheritance reserved in heaven just for us, 1 Peter 1, 5, for believers in Christ who are protected, by the divine power of God the Father, through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are saved as believers in Christ right now, but our salvation, what it really means, hasn't been fully revealed, and it will be revealed in the last time, and it will be uh, a set of blessings that will stagger our imagination. I think in the for the first... Uh, thousand, two thousand years in eternity, we won't be able to say a thing. We'll just be standing there with our mouths open or falling flat on our face. 
because it's just amazing what God has planned for those who love him. God the Father gives us, a, gives us his promises and a plan that provides for us, that protects us, that pardons us. And he offers us the power of his person and the power of his presence in everything we do. Think about that for a second. He's with you everywhere you are. And while you're flailing your arms and rushing around and trying to do everything, he's already paved the way for your success. Even when we were his enemies, when we were separated from him, when we were on the wrong side of a barrier that made it impossible for us to have a relationship with him, God the Father gave us a way to escape from sovereignty to sin. He gave us his Son. God the Son, the Lord, volunteered to execute God the Father's plan. His work on the cross is a way of escape. In an uncertain world, what blows us about, that blows us about with every wind in every direction, it's nice to know we have a home base. We have a person who's waiting for us with open arms to welcome us into his blessings at any time. He's someone we can count on. Who is it we count on? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 tells us it is Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. There is one and only way, one way to get to heaven. You invest your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to save you. Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and by believing in him, you instantly have the resurrection life, eternal life, in his name. We worship God the Holy Spirit. He is our mentor and teacher, a guide who is the rudder of the Christian's life. And because all church-age believers are indwelled by God the Holy Spirit, in fact indwelled by the entire Trinity, the flesh is powerless over us even when we give in to its temptations. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says this, you believers in Christ Oops, went too far. You believers in Christ are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and of course it does. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ indwelling, and unbelievers don't, that one, the unbeliever, the unregenerate one, does not belong to Christ. As a believer in Christ, your body is a temple for the entire Godhead. <clears throat> What is our source of truth? As Christians, we can develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead through the study of the Word of God, the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, reminds us of the permanent impact of the Word of God. It says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Amen. It's important for every believer in Christ to fuel his life daily with divine power. And the word of God is the fuel. And as we remember to search for God's viewpoint when we study the word, then we are not burdened by man's viewpoint, especially the viewpoint of those false teachers who love teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, the Lord says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will give you rest. 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 11:30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christianity is so simple. When I hear people try to explain Christianity with a, a mix of legalism and religion, it makes it sound so complicated. The Word of God and its truth relieve us of those types of burdens. The burdens of guilt, the burden of shame, the burden of disappointment, the burden of heartache. And so my recommendation for you is embrace it. Well, the shocking thing to most Christians is that God has an enemy. Well, who is our enemy? It's Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period. He is the enemy of believers in Christ as well. Throughout the country and the world, it's easy to buy knockoffs, cheap imitations, counterfeits of things expensive and valuable. A coach brand purse comes to mind. There's probably no more counterfeited brand than Coach. Well, Satan's a counterfeiter too. He wants people to purchase a counterfeit Christ, a counterfeit gospel message, counterfeit scripture, a counterfeit God the Holy Spirit, and he wants people to listen to and learn from counterfeit teachers who use their false teaching to communicate lies so close to the truth as to be believable. Don't be fooled. Satan's relentless fathering of lies will never stop. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10 say this. It says, The believers in Christ found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. Bar is son of, so he was the son of Jesus, another Jesus, not Jesus Christ, certainly, although I'm sure that the religions would love that to be the case. Acts, 16, Acts 13, verse 7. And he was with the pre-council, Sergius Paulus, who was a man of intelligence. And Paulus summered, summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Acts 13, 8. But Elymas, this Bar-Jesus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing Barnabas and Saul seeking to turn the pre-council away from the faith. Acts 13.9 But Saul, who was also known as Paul, who was filled with God the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on Elymas. Acts 13.10 And he said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you ever stop trying to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Well, we know the answer. First of all, that verse, uh, Acts 13.10, is the perfect description of Satan and his false teachers. But we know the answer. Will they ever stop? The answer is no. Of course not. Satan won't ever change, nor will his false teachers change. Resist Satan and his emissaries and be steadfast, clinging to your faith. Today's Bible lesson, are you good enough in God's eyes? Are you good enough in God's eyes? Well, so often it feels like a game of crab in a barrel, this life we live. As one crab seeks to crawl out of the barrel, another crab will grab him and pull him back in. 
So it is with some people who see it as their job to put us down and to proclaim that they're better than us. So as we move into Romans chapter 2, the Lord has a message to the self-righteous crowd. You may think you're basically a good person, but you're not. We look forward to hearing what the Word of God has to say about this. All right, well, let's hear a little music. Sometimes believers in Christ are affected by the condemnation of the flesh, that part of us that's always reminding us how broken we are, how imperfect we are, how unable we are to live up to the standards God has set for his children. We know most of the time we fall well short of the glory of God. At that moment when we're down, the flesh tells us, you're not good enough. The flesh wants us to think we're not good enough to accomplish anything we set out to do. Thankfully, God has a much different viewpoint. One of the reasons he has a different viewpoint is because he has all the power and he's able to do anything. So anything we want to do, we can do it using his power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, in John chapter 16, verse 33, the Lord reassures his believers. He says, these things I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have spoken to you believers in Christ so that in union with me, you may have peace. Peace, knowing that God has nothing against you, knowing that God is completely on your side. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. As a believer in Christ, are you good enough for God? June Murphy answers the question in song, her song, My Cross Made You Good Enough. Trinity indwells you and I have set you free you're a citizen of heaven you belong 
That's the thing that's lost on most Christians. He made us good enough. We're never going to make ourselves good enough. I love when June sings songs from God's perspective. What a great song. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, You left the flesh in believers in Christ after our salvation. And the flesh hates us. It's always offering up temptations. It prompts us to rebel against you. It seeks to ruin us. And quite often we listen to the temptations and give in to them. And when the flesh succeeds in getting us to sin, it pelts our emotions with accusations that cause us to be down on ourselves. And when we're down on ourselves we start thinking that you, Father, feel the same way about us. And when we're down on ourselves, we drift away from you and from your word and from the truth that because of our union with Christ, you see us as perfect. Thank you for the constant reminders that the flesh has no power over us. Thank you for the reminder that you are the most powerful being in the universe. Thank you for the reminder that nothing happens to us that does not pass through your hands for approval. Thank you for working all things together for our good. And thank you when tribulation draws us closer to you. 
As God the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts and our ears to the spiritual truths in today's lesson, help us feel gratitude toward your generosity in sending your Son to a cross to die for us, in asking your Son to pay for our sins with his blood so we could be good enough in your eyes. Help us to persevere in Satan's kingdom as we move forward one step at a time against the enemy's tornado of abuse. And remind us that your power can accomplish anything and that you are for us, never against us. Comfort us by reminding us that you are in your almighty hand, that we are in your almighty hand because we believers in Christ are your children. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, are you good enough in God's eyes? Well, God is constantly bringing both people and situations into our lives to teach us. A while back before the COVID pandemic, members of Barah Ministries would visit the Veterans Hospital here in Phoenix once a month to evangelize to people who wanted to listen to us. On one occasion, there were six veterans sitting around a table when I came into the meeting room, and they asked me to join them because they wanted my opinion. Well, as you know, my opinion in $3.40 will get you a cup of Starbucks coffee. And I agreed to sit with them, and I was eager to hear what they had to say. They asked me to turn in my Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. So I read the verses aloud. Those verses say, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, effeminate are males sexually penetrated by other males, nor homosexuals, those who penetrate effeminate males, 1 Corinthians 6.10, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. After reading the verses to them, they asked, Can homosexuals go to heaven? My answer was immediate. Yes. People who commit the sin of homosexuality can be saved, and they can go to heaven if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They turned away from me in disgust. All of them turned away from me in disgust. And one of them said, You are absolutely wrong about that. It says right here in the Bible, They will not go to heaven. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. I said to them, okay, let's assume you're right. Let's assume you understand these two verses completely. Why did you stop with one sin in the list of sins? It says here that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Have any of you ever engaged in homosexuality? There were no's all around the table, and they had a look on their face that was absolutely, as if I had said something that was absolutely repugnant to them. Then I asked, have any of you ever had premarital sex, which the Bible calls fornication? Silence. I continued. It says in these verses that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you have had premarital sex, sex outside of the marriage relationship, according to your logic, you can't inherit the kingdom of God either. Silence. 
Have any of you ever committed adultery? Silence. Have any of you ever placed someone or something ahead of God, which is called idolatry? Silence. Have any of you ever stolen anything? Silence. Have any of you ever let greed take over your thinking? Silence. Have any of you ever been drunk? I paused a little bit on that one because I know they all had been. Silence. Have any of you ever insulted anyone, which the Bible calls reviling? Silence. Have any of you ever tricked someone and cheated them out of their money, which the Bible calls swindling? Silence. I finished up. By the way, did you notice the verse, the first verse is referring to those who are unrighteous, that is, to unbelievers? Believers in Christ are not unrighteous. They're righteous. At the moment of salvation, the Lord imputes his righteousness to us. So this is a passage that's talking about unbelievers. It's not even referring to believers in Christ. These verses are not directed to you. Silence. The sins list is referring to the lifestyle of unbelievers. Let's not forget, though, that the Lord paid for every sin of every one of his creatures, past, present, and future. So sins aren't the issue when it comes to getting to heaven. Unbelief is the issue, and unbelief is a rejection of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ trade a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe for a lifestyle of sins, thus the list. The next month when we came back to visit, one of the people among the six told me that the ringleader said the reason I didn't agree with him and his assessment of the verses is because I'm a homosexual. Because <laughs> I'm a homosexual. That was beautiful. So, this, <laughs> I still laugh at that. So we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 2. And today's lesson will introduce the chapter. And then the next two or three lessons, we'll learn what the Lord is saying to us verse by verse in this continuation of the indictment of the entire human race that sets up the most beautiful, most powerful salvation provided by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, as you've heard, if you're following along in the lessons, the first three chapters of Romans are that indictment of the whole human race. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No creature is righteous, not even one. From birth, no creature is righteous, not even one. And some people don't believe that because they are self-righteous. Romans chapter 1 indicts immoral sinners. A sinner is an unbeliever. But Romans chapter 1 is indicting the immoral sinners who lived in first century Rome. And if you think we've got it bad today, and we got everybody always saying, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. If you think it's bad today, you should have lived for a few months in first century Rome. It was awful. Immorality was everywhere. everywhere. Belief in God was nowhere. They were polytheistic culture. They believed in multiple gods. And they didn't think there was anything that happened to you when you died that was negative. The term lascivious, 
refers to the lifestyle of these people. But since I don't want you scurrying to your dictionary, let's just call the people being addressed in Romans chapter 1 the immoral sinners. They are unbelievers who love doing the wrong thing. You have friends who love doing the wrong thing. You have family members who love doing the wrong thing and who always do the wrong thing. And you scratch your head and you wonder, how did, how did this person come to always make the wrong decisions? How did this person always end up doing the wrong stuff? And we, we have this disbelief about it, like there aren't people who adopt the wrong thing as a lifestyle. If there weren't people who adopt the wrong things as a lifestyle, we wouldn't have any prisons. And by the way, Israel in ancient times didn't have any prisons. If you did anything stupid, they just stoned you to death. I think we should go back to that. Amen? Amen. So there was another group of people in first century Rome, just as there are people among us today, who see immoral conduct. And just because they don't participate in that set of sins, they think they're better than other people. They look down their legalistic noses at people. They think of themselves as basically good people. I can't tell you how many times that I have heard people say that they are basically good people all over the world. It's amazing. They use those exact words. Well, I'm a basically a good person. It's always a warning sign that it's time to run. It's amazing that people all over the world use the exact same expression. I'm basically a good person. It's almost as if they all went to a class. It's almost as if they were all on a webinar and they were all taking notes that day. And the teacher told them, you are all basically good people. Write that down, please, and say it. I am basically a good person because they say it over and over. This group of unbelievers are what are known as moral sinners. And quite often, this group of unbelievers is involved in a religion. Religion is the residence of moral sinners, people who think they are basically good, people who, who have a list of things they need to follow to be religious, people who go to church religiously, and people who think that they're better than those who don't go to church. There are even churches who talk about being a church for the unchurched. And I love how the world puts all these little titles on you. Minority, person of color, the unchurched. Well, these people who are looking down their nose at other people judge others while uh, excusing themselves. They are the spiritual brothers and sisters of the first century Pharisees who were the religious Jews who allegedly knew scripture inside and out but knew nothing about mercy and compassion and all the things that the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus the Christ, stood for. Well, we saw this malady in three different passages in our last lesson. The Pharisee and the tax collector passage where the Pharisee said, I am so glad I'm not like this tax collector, a big scumbag. We saw it in 
and that was Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. We saw it in the prodigal son passage in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, where one son got his share of his father's inheritance and blew it, and the other son refused to go to a party when the son came back and asked for, the younger son came back and asked for forgiveness. And he refused to go to the party because he was so much better than the younger son. He had no concern for his brother at all. And we saw it in the woman caught in the act of adultery passage, John chapter 8, verses 3 to 11, where Jesus said, Any of you who have no sin, please cast the first stone. Well, in all three of those passages, we're introduced to moral sinners who think they're better than everyone else. They are legalists. They are the I would never people. I love when people say that. I would never. Whenever you say never, it's probably something's going to happen. I would never. If you say I would never about anything, you absolutely don't know who you are. These are people who claim purity, but behind the scenes, they're doing the very things that they condemn. They are first-class phonies. They are hypocrites, actors who talk from behind a mask. They are the people who live in glass houses who are throwing stones. Well, let's take a look and let's have a listen to the first passage of Romans chapter 2. It's verses 1 to 16. Here's what it says. Therefore, those of you who are looking down your noses at the immoral people, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the exact same things. What is God saying there? You are not basically good people at all. You sin a different way, but you sin nonetheless. There's no difference between an immoral unbeliever and a moral unbeliever. There's no difference between an immoral unbeliever and a religious unbeliever. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. God's judgment is always right. Romans 2, 3. But do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and then you do the same thing yourself, do you suppose that you'll escape the judgment of God? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, knowing, not knowing, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What causes people to change their mind about Christ? It's when they're screwing up over and over and over again, and Jesus is standing there with his arms open saying, bring me your sin resume. I took care of it. I'm not worried about your faults or flaws or mistakes. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to love you when you don't love yourself. I'm going to love you when your family members, the people who are closest to you, reject you. I'm going to love you, and it's all the love you need. Romans 2.5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves, in the day of wrath, and in the day of the revelation and the righteous judgment of God. For all those who reject a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will be 
the target of God the Father's wrath, Romans 2.6. The God who will render to each person according to his deeds. What deeds? Accepting or rejecting a relationship with Christ. What are the two groups? Romans 2.7. Those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, that's believers in Christ. What's the other group? But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and indignation from God the Father. Romans 2.9 There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first chronologically, and also of the Greek, the Gentiles, that's us. Romans 2.10 But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first chronologically, and also to the Greeks. Payoff verse, Romans chapter 2, verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. You can be a moral sinner. You can be an immoral sinner. You can be religious, or you can be a-religious, irreligious. In God's eyes, there's no difference. All the difference is, is that you sin a different way. There's the sin of judging, thinking that you have the goody-two-shoes, nice, righteous life, and that you're better than everybody else, which is arrogance to the nth degree. Or the immoral life, where all you do is everything wrong and you wallow in it. Romans 2.12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Romans 2.13 for, for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. What is justified? Being announced as perfectly righteous in a legal declaration declaration by God. And who are the people who get that uh, righteous declaration? They're people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 2.14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves. Gentiles were not Jews. Gentiles didn't have the Mosaic law, but they were fulfilling tenets of the Mosaic law. And you have to stop and wonder, well, why, if you don't have the law, are you doing the things of the law? It's because God placed inside of them a knowledge of himself, and they responded to it. Romans 2.15, in that these Gentiles show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience, their ability to know right from wrong, bears witness, and their thoughts alternately either accuse them or defend them. Romans 2.16 On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Oh, oh, you have secrets, you phonies. Oh, God's going to expose you and embarrass you publicly. Oh, yeah, that's not exactly how God works. Amen? Amen. All of you self-righteous people who are all into your heads about how self-righteous you are. I said, amen? Say amen. Yeah, we are all like that. 
We're all like that. We think we are so wonderful, and we are not. And as long as you don't put your wonderfulness up against God's standards, you're fine. You can make up your own standards, live them, and you're better than everybody else. Nah, nah, nah. So what do you make of that passage? We're going to study that passage in the next lesson. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll see what the second passage of Romans chapter 2 has to say. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Are You Good Enough in the Eyes of God? Well, when we give the gospel message to unbelievers, they give to us by listening attentively. It's one of the most gratifying experiences in life when an unbeliever really wants to hear the gospel message. The gift of listening is the gift of intimacy. Luke chapter 8, verse 8 exhorts, He who has ears, let him hear what God the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. When you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for us to give the gospel message to people all over the world through the internet. People are listening. So thank you for supporting this ministry with your generosity. Your unselfish giving is a reflection of our God, and it gives people around the world a chance to respond positively to an eternal life-giving gospel message, the salvation offer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Welcome. Welcome to Barah Ministries. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon here because I know that we need to live in the present. And how do you live in the present? You live in the present by not worrying. Worrying is like wearing socks with sandals. Just not cool. (laughs) It doesn't help anything, and you just look like a fool. So one of the ways to live in the present is just by not worrying, and we can see that in the Bible. We can see that in the end of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus taught, or where the Bible talks about, you know, how you see birds, they don't worry about feeding themselves, they don't worry about daily life, you know, and we should be the same way, we shouldn't have any worry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We know that, right? Every day is enough trouble. Why should we worry about the past, beat ourselves up about things we did? Why should we worry about the future and speculate about things that may never happen? It's just not worth it. Right? So if we can not worry, and the biggest thing is, having, is being grateful for what we, what we do have, that'll help, that'll help the next thing about living in the present. Living in the present is not, is not striving and not always being jealous of other people. It's just being content with what you have. You're grateful. So if you're worry-free and you're grateful, how are you going to be? You're going to be generous. If you're not worried about what you have, like running out, you're not worried about things that you that you think are going to have a problem or are going to be a problem. You're not speculating about the future and worrying about the past. It's just a waste of time. Tomorrow is going to be its its own day. And I can prove to you tonight what happens when you worry. This. (laughs) See, I wear a hat all day because I worry too much. So let's not worry. Let's live in the present. Let's live right now and and, uh, remember that Today we can use your money. Today we can use your talent. Today we can use the gospel. Not tomorrow, not down the road, not in the past. Today, just do it right now. That's the easiest part. Just do it right now. So give right now or else. Hit it, Denise.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Are You Good Enough in God's Eyes? Well, for those of you who couldn't see what Deacon Denny was doing because you were listening in audio only, he lifted up his hat and underneath was the bald head. So he said, he's saying that his bald head comes from worrying. That is not where my bald head comes from. My bald head comes from not wanting to spend $20 a week uh, getting a non-haircut when I could spend $25 a week and wear out a razor and cut my head to shreds. So, But the result is the same. So welcome back. Isn't it interesting that there are always people who want us to know we're not good enough? Isn't that interesting? And most of them are people in our families who are always putting down tests for us so that we know without any question that we're not good enough. Yet they forget that they're not good enough either. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 reminds everyone that a do-it-yourself righteousness, self-righteousness, is worse than immorality. Isaiah 64 6 says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. And that's a description of a woman who is menstruating. And it's always funny to me that the people who translate the Bible don't want to be real. They don't want to really use the point that the Bible is really making. All of us have become like a woman who is menstruating, and all of our self-righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, a used tampon, something absolutely repugnant. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That's what God thinks about our efforts at self-righteousness. That's what God thinks when we try to put ourselves above other people. Because what we're really doing is assuming the prerogative of God when we start judging other people. And God doesn't propose to judge people until the end of, our day, in, until the end of their days. So why do we? Why do we like doing that? Well, it makes us feel better about ourselves, I guess. It never made me feel better about myself. So Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of us. We are all born physically alive, created by our amazing God. We're all born spiritually dead, doomed to the lake of fire. It's not our fault, but it is our circumstance. We're all born separated from God. We're all born on the wrong side of a barrier. We're all born helpless. We're all born hopeless. We're all born powerless to do anything about the situation. And when we come here, we don't have any opinions about God. So all of the things that we now carry around as opinions about God, we adopted from somewhere. And there are only two things to adopt. You can adopt the truth or you can adopt the lie. And so that's what you always have to be assessing. Am I develop, did, I, did I adopt the truth or did I adopt the lie? So perhaps we calm ourselves by ignoring the truth about ourselves Instead, of, instead, creating our own reality. Yet God has a holy standard, righteousness. And none of us are good enough to create in our own power the righteousness demanded by God. And I remember the first time I studied Romans chapters 1, 2, two and 3, I was absolutely flabbergasted because I had been told all through my religious experience that I could do something to merit God's acceptance, that I could do something to work my way to heaven. 
that if I just didn't sin enough, then I'd be able to go to heaven. I had a friend call me and ask me, why do Catholics celebrate Lent? And, you know, I used to be a Roman Catholic, and I used to celebrate Lent. And Lent is this period of time from Fat Tuesday until Easter. And during Lent, you give up something for Lent to demonstrate to God that you can be righteous. And what happens? Whatever it is you gave up for Lent, you're doing it about five minutes later. And mine was always candy. I'm giving up candy for Lent. Yeah, never. So what do you do? You pretend like you gave it up, and what do you, what do, you do? You hear those that cellophane wrapper. Do I have any cellophane? I don't have any up here. But... Yeah, you hear that little cellophane wrapper going where you're unwrapping the candy and trying to be quiet when you're doing it. So, all of us are not good enough in God's eyes. But the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, he credits his righteousness to your account. And at that point, and from that point on, you are perfect in his eyes. You are absolutely good enough. What did June Murphy say in the first song? The cross made you good enough. The self-righteous legalist can be heard to say, I'm not that kind of person, or I would never do that. They're lying. That's what the first passage of Romans chapter 2 says. Here's the second passage, Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. It says, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, Romans 2.18, and know his will and approve the essential things being instructed out of the law, Romans 2.19, and you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, Romans 2.20, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, Romans 2.21 You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Aha! The teacher teaches, but the teacher can't do. Well, that just described every teacher. The teacher can't stand in front of you in self-righteousness. As a matter of fact, God always puts the worst people up front. We can't stand up here and tell you, you need to do, and you ought to feel, and you aren't, and you aren't. Because we're doing the same thing. You just don't get to see it unless you're stupid enough like me to tell people what you're doing. Romans 2.21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? Romans 2.22, you who say that, that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, Do you rob temples? Romans 2.23. You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Romans 2.24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Romans 2.25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. And you have to practice it perfectly, by the way. But if you are a transgressor of the law, and all of us are, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Romans 2.26. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, 
Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision by God? Romans 2.27. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor, transgressor of the law? Romans 2.28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Romans 2.29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter of following the law. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Well, in our next lesson, we'll begin dissecting this chapter on moral sinning, which is an indictment of basically good people and people who hide in a religion. Oh, I'm a Lutheran. Oh, I'm a Catholic. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm that too. Well, then why didn't you say that? These are people who count on the religion for their righteousness. Are you good enough in God's eyes? If you believe in Christ, you are, because he credits his righteousness to you at the moment of salvation. Don't forget it. And it is so easy to forget it. Trust God. Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings lie to you. Well, the closing moments of this lesson could be the ten most important minutes of your life. You'll be introduced to the good news concerning how you can spend all eternity in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. How would it be to know there is someone who loves you so much that their love for you is almost unspeakable, yet you don't know who they are and you aren't interested in meeting them? That may be your situation. The creator of the entire universe created you. He loves you unconditionally, and you may not have a relationship with him. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, because He is the Creator. And apart from the Lord, nothing came into being that has come into being, including you. You can have a relationship with your Creator. And guess what? He's looking for you. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture, and go after the one which is lost. And that's a reference to an unbeliever. He goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. Luke 15, 5. And when he has found the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. Luke 15, 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Luke 15, 7. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, an unbeliever who repents, who chooses to have a relationship with Christ, than over 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. The bad news? While God is looking for you, you're definitely not looking for him. Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 say, No creature understands God or any divine thing. 
No creature seeks a relationship with God. Romans 3.12. All creatures have turned aside from God. Together they become useless. No creature does good. There is not even one. All of us were born in a state of unrighteousness. We were born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. It's not your fault that you were born this way, but it is your circumstance. Who says so? The Lord says so in his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there's good news. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is called the gospel message. The Lord has a personal salvation plan to lead every unbeliever to salvation. Let's see what happened when the gospel message was preached in a prison in first century Rome. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cell. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Acts 16, 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Acts 16, 26. Acts 16, 27. And when the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Allowing prisoners to escape carried a penalty of instant execution for prison guards. And this guy was going to do it himself. Acts 16, 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying to the guard, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. Acts 16, 29. And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16, 30. And after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out, he said, Sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? Eight beautiful words. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. The guard had been listening to the spiritual songs Paul and Silas were singing. Whenever we teach the word of God, it gets through because God the Holy Spirit makes sure it gets through. Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas said, Believe. In the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believe. Believe. Simply take God's word for it for what it takes to be saved. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It's simply you using the gift of faith given to you by God, placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and the Lord gifts you with the ticket to eternal life. Well, how did our jailer friend get saved? In a crisis, he recognized that he needed a Savior. He asked someone who knew what it took to be saved. Believers in Christ presented the accurate gospel message. The jailer did what was suggested, and he was saved. Well, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. 
He says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. The Lord shed blood on the cross to pay your way so that you can be saved. Don't wait for a crisis to be saved. Do it now. Because the news goes from bad to worse if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 say this. The wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, in, and against the unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Romans 1, 19. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of everyone, especially unbelievers. For God the Father made it evident to them from the inside of them. Romans 1.20 And since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes, the Lord's eternal power, and the Lord's divine nature, His deity, have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through what has been made in nature the Lord's creative work, so that all mankind is without excuse before the Lord. God makes himself clearly visible in ways that make sense to human beings, both from the inside of them and outside of them. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. It is not a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The lake of fire is a real place, and you don't have to live there for all eternity. A 60-second decision can change your eternal destiny. Remember what Paul and Silas said to the jail guard in Acts chapter 16, verse 31 and following? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Acts 16.32, and Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation offer to the jailer, together with all the people who were in his house. Acts 16.33, and the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately the jailer was baptized by God the Holy Spirit. He and all his household who also believed. And all of them believed. Acts 16.34 And the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ with his whole household. Wouldn't you like to spend all eternity in heaven? Don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of the good news of the gospel message right now. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Well, let's close with some music. Who do you trust? The Apostle Paul makes it clear that we are not to trust ourselves. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, We believers in Christ are the true circumcision. We who worship through the power of God the Holy Spirit, and who glory in union with Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh.
Lauren Daigle tells us who to trust in song. She says, we are to trust in you, Lord. pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for keeping us in touch with who we really are, the tests, the trials, and the tribulations you allow in our lives. Make it clear to us that we're not good enough in our own power. 
get in your hands and in your power and in union with your Son, through the guidance of God the Holy Spirit, we can bear fruit and display it to a lost and dying world. As we go forth into the week, help us not to take advantage of your grace to do evil. Help us to keep on presenting our bodies to you as a living and holy sacrifice, ready to do all that you would have us do. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Well, please make it a habit to listen to the announcements. They're posted separately. Keep current on the things going on in Barah Ministries. Uh, Discussing the lesson in prayer circle, we'll continue that in the next lesson. Got biblical questions, ask the pastor, pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God daily. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.